First of all, I want to invite you to our, to our Sunday school, our adult Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. And uh, we're talking about how good it is to love the book, loving the book, loving God's words. Amen. Do you take it with you when you go to work? Do you take it with you uh, wherever you're at? The Bible is a precious book. Learn to love it, cherish it. And the Bible says, and look with me at a scripture in Proverbs 6. I like this. I like this. Proverbs chapter 6. Just by way of advertisement for our Sunday school class. You see, uh, what I try to share with people, uh, what I like to, to, at least how I pray for that class that's been given to me to share is that the Sunday school is not going to be just another meal. I don't want it to be another meal. The main meal on Sunday is when our pastor tells us what God is speaking. That's the main meal. I consider that Sunday school class, for those who go to the 8 o'clock service, I consider the Sunday school to be like a dessert for you. And those who are going to the 11 o'clock, well, then you can call it your appetizer. Something just to make you more hungry for what God has. Amen? But in Proverbs chapter 6, concerning loving God's word, here's a precious scripture. Um, oh, my eyes are... Proverbs... Let's see here. Yes, Proverbs 6, verse 20. And I like, if you read in Proverbs, you know, when I first began reading Proverbs and I read these words, verse, like in verse 20, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, when I read the word, my son, I was thinking, okay, well, that's, you know, Solomon telling what his dad said to him. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came and just spoke to me. He says, no, 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 no. Forget about David and Solomon. It's me who's speaking and you're my son. And all of a sudden, those little verses throughout Proverbs where it says, my son, all of a sudden became personal love letters from my father. So maybe it can be like that for you tonight. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Next verse. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Listen to this now. When thou goest, let's read this verse together. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk to thee. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Don't you need something to keep you at night while you're sleeping? I mean, keep your mind off of everything else so you can sleep? Well, spend time in God's Word. Open it up in the morning. Let it be the words you meditate on at night. And let's read this verse one more time. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. That's precious. Amen. All right. Well, past uh, two Sundays, um, our pastor has been talking about the difference between favor and mercy. And, uh, you know, I I, I just kind of got impressed even last week a little bit. I wanted to get into it, wasn't able to, but kind of got impressed upon sharing, first of all, a little maybe a bit more about mercy. We've heard a lot about favor and precious words. And I thought, well, let's, let's really see some difference. Let's talk a bit more about the mercy of God. I have a little PowerPoint. And I want to show you, especially from the Old Testament, there are two words and uh, are our, our what we perhaps want to title our message tonight here is a biblical story of God's loving kindness. The story of, ooh, can you pronounce that name? Mephibosheth. Can you all say that? 
<laughs> That's a funny name. Do not name your child Mephibosheth, and I'll tell you why in just a minute, okay? Do not. I mean, there's, there's people that name their, their children some funny Bible names. Now, there's just certain Bible names you don't want to name your child, okay? Mephibosheth is one of those. But his story is very precious. Well, what we see here, uh, what we want to look at is, uh, first of all, is about this word mercy, and we're going to see uh, even more clearly, uh, if you look in the Old Testament, there are, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, there are actually two words for, for the um, word mercy. You see, Hebrew is a very, very rich language. So is the New Testament language of Greek also. Both languages are very rich, which means that for even just one word in English, there are several words in that language that give different color and a different picture and a different idea. So sometimes if you have the chance to, to use a reference material that shows what the Hebrew and Greek is, it's very interesting to study it. Uh, one book that's very helpful that way is a book called The Strong's Concordance. Well, there are two different words for mercy. <clears throat> the first word that's very common throughout the uh, Old Testament is the word uh, Hanan. I think that's how you say it, something like that. And that, that number up there is from the Strong's Concordance. And the word Hanan or Chanan means to bend or stoop to in kindness to an inferior. In other words, someone below you. You're, you're kind of bending down, stooping down. And the idea here is mercy, pity, and compassion. There's a beautiful verse, if you look at it with me, in Psalms 18. Uh, this word is not there, but it's the idea. It's nice. <clears throat> It says here in Psalms 18, verse 35. Psalms 18, verse 35 says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness, I like this, thy gentleness hath made me great. What does that say in the NIV? Can we see it in the NIV version? The New International Version? Yeah, there we go. You give me your shield of victory, your right hand sustains me. Read this last part with me. You what? Stoop down to make me great. Isn't God wonderful? And that's what, you know, his, his compassion, the fact is God does pity us. In Psalms 103, he says it pities us as a father pities his children. You see your children's skin and uh, scuff up their knees. You feel that compassion. You feel that, 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 that something just burn, you know, bubbles inside and you, you just feel like something is squeezing you inside. You feel, in fact, in the, uh, you'll see the expression in King James, bowels of mercy. Uh, you just feel it down here, that compassion, that pity for someone. So that's the first word we're looking at here uh, in the Hebrew language. It simply means to bow, to stoop down, to have compassion, feel sorry for someone that's way down below you, uh, kind of a thing, you see. And, and God stoops down to show us compassion. Amen? But the second word is a very powerful word in the Hebrew language. And you wouldn't understand. We, you know, we couldn't see this in the actual Bible uh, text. You'd have to see it in the Hebrew. And this is the, the word Chesed. Everybody say, you got to go, like you're clearing your throat. That's how you say that guttural sound in Hebrew. It's chesed. And that word literally means God's covenant love. In fact, in some translations, that word chesed in the Hebrew is translated as covenant love. In King James, you'll see it as loving kindness. Can you all say loving kindness with me? But the fact is, it's, it's, this word hesed is, is, is very much different than the word 
Hanan, which means to stoop down and feel this mercy, kind of a pity party for someone kind of a thing, you see. Chesed has to do with covenant. Let's put the other two lines of this uh, screen up there. You see, Hanan mercy is based on circumstances. Someone's in a miserable state, and you feel compassion, you see. Uh, if, if someone, you see normal people, you don't feel that for. It's just basically, based, it's based on their situation. Of course, we were in a situation when God found us. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> we were in a situation. We were in a circumstance. In fact, uh, David says in another place in Psalms, he says, you lifted me out of the lowest hell. Can you acknowledge that with me? That's where we came from. Amen. But chesed mercy is not based on circumstances. It's based on covenant. And this is something powerful in Scripture. Let me show you where this is used. In Deuteronomy chapter, uh, well, before that, look with me in, in Psalms 86. Just a couple places where this covenant love is used. Psalms 86 and verse 13. Well, verse... 12. Start with verse 12. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me, for you have delivered me from the depths of hell. Let's go back to the King James. How many know that's the language that Paul spoke in, by the way? You didn't get that, did you? (laughs) King James Version. Paul... Okay, think about that. Let's read it in King James here. For great is thy mercy toward me, for thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. How many can say amen to that? Delivered my soul. Great is thy mercy. And that's that word chesed, which means covenant love. Let's look at another scripture in Psalms 103. Psalms 103 and verse uh, 7 I'm sorry, verse 17. Psalms 103. Well, actually, in this portion, you can see actually the same idea. In verse 13, we see the word Hanan, which is that pity, compassion. In verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's that idea of having just that mercy and compassion. But, all, but the other kind of mercy is in verse 17. Listen to this. 17. It says, for, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon, him that, upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant. Notice the word covenant is put there to those that remember his commandments to do them. So covenants. And what we need to understand is that when we come to Christ... He saves us, he delivers us, but he doesn't do it out of necessarily pity, passion, and mercy. You see, God is a judge. God is a righteous judge. And he has placed a sentence of judgment on sin. And that judgment says that whoever sins is worthy of hell, is worthy of death. The wages of sin is death. That's very clear. He's a righteous judge. And, it's, and God doesn't save people simply because he goes, oh, I feel so sorry for them. He does feel compassion and mercy, but he's a righteous judge. What kind of a judge would you like to have presiding over your court case 
who saw the horrible criminal who robbed your house, burned it down and stole your cars and robbed your bank account. And there he is sitting there and the, the poor fellow's, you know, weeping and crying. And the judge says, oh my goodness, my heart goes out to that man. I just feel like forgiving him. How would you feel being in a court case like that? Would you be very, oh yeah, it's a good thing, judge. Go ahead and forgive him. It's okay. I don't mind. You know, I feel compassion too. Let him go ahead and rob my house again. <laughs> that doesn't work, does it? See, a righteous judge has to judge righteously. You see? Now, God feels compassion and mercy, but he's also made a way to save us by sending his son to die in our place. How many can say hallelujah? You see, so mercy Hanan, compassion, pity, and chesed, covenant love, go together right there at the cross. They go together at the cross. Mercy and righteousness, they kiss, the Bible says in Psalms 85. They kiss, they have kissed each other. They go together. You see, a a judge who's just going to be compassionate on everybody, they'll get him out of there fast because that's not righteous. That wouldn't be righteous. Judgment must be placed. Judgment must fall. But God, who made the judgment, also sent his son to take the judgment for us. And that's chesed. That's covenant love. How many see that today? You see the difference? And you see, what is this based on? Is it based on your situation? Is God saving you and his ability to save you? Is it based on your situation? No, it's based on a covenant that was made through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ and you receive him as your savior, when you come to him and accept what he's done for you, then you enter into that covenant by being washed in the blood, being born again into God's family, you see? God doesn't place you in his family because he has pity and mercy and compassion and feels sorry for you. He places you there because you've come into the covenant that was established through Jesus Christ even before you were born. Amen? In fact, the Bible makes it clear. This is kind of a hard concept to grasp, but we need to understand that God is eternal. And when God sent Jesus, you know, I've heard sometimes evangelists say how, oh, you know, when God saw how man messed up, then, you know, God had to quit, go to plan B to figure out, oh, what am I going to do now? Uh, The devil messed up my ideas for man. And, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I have an idea. I'll send Jesus. Uh, That didn't work like that. It's not like God had plan B because of what the devil did. God never goes to plan B. He's always on plan A. Can you say amen? And the Bible says that before, before the world began, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was already planned out even before man fell. God doesn't have to go to plan B. He's on plan A and he'll be on plan A throughout all of eternity. Amen. You see, so this is salvation. This is what God did. And you and I enter into that covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit is fulfilling, entering into that, like almost a marriage covenant with Jesus Christ. Those experiences are necessary to, to receive the fullness of the benefits that are available to us now through this covenant that was made. Now, look at just, uh, can't take too much time on this, but look with me. 
at uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is important to understand, and it's a study in itself. I don't want to go there too much. I want to show you about Mephibosheth, because there we see that chesed. We see that covenant love. We're going to explain how that works. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is where God, uh, Moses is with, his, with the children of Israel. Moses is ready to depart because he's not allowed to go into the promised land. But he's there giving the commandments again to the children of Israel. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. It means the giving of the law the second time. So he's standing there before, uh, before they, uh, on the outskirts of the promised land of Canaan. And he's given all these words to them before God takes him home uh, to be with him before he dies. Well, he's telling them, listen, you're going to go into that land. There's going to be battles you have to fight. You have to bring those giants down. And I'm going to give you victory, but you have to fight. Up until this time, there really wasn't a whole lot of fighting the Israelites had done. And now it's time for them to learn how to fight. They need to fight to possess what God's promising them. Okay, that's another message. But if we go on through this chapter, God says, listen, this is why I chose you for this land. You see, in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says, For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So not, I mean, that's some powerful words he's saying there. And, you know, you hear that kind of thing, you think, well, yeah, you know, now come to think of it, but I, I am kind of special. <laughs> that would be the idea. But he says, now listen, let me tell you why you're special. Verse 7, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were special. More in number than any other people, but you were the fewest of all people. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and because, and because he would keep the oath, the covenant which he had sworn to your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. So why is God doing this for these Israelites? They've rebelled. I mean, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God says, hey, Moses, these people are rebellious people. Let me just destroy them. <laughs> Moses had to intercede and stand there before God. But, you know, the fact is, is that God says, listen, I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Not just a promise, but a covenant. A covenant. Covenants are until death do we part, like the marriage covenant. Marriage is not a contract. How many understand that? A contract has conditions and it can be broken. Marriage is a covenant until death do we part. God says, I've made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I can't break it. So just because you messed up horrible doesn't mean my plans have changed. I still have the plan. I have the covenant. I have to honor my covenant. And you guys are the ones for it. How many are glad you're part of God's covenant plan? <laughs> Look in chapter 9. Chapter 9. Now he, here he's talking to them again. He goes, okay, now listen. Once God has taken you in there and you've conquered the nations and you had some real victory and a lot of things were happening, you need to understand something. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 4. He says, listen. Speak not in your heart like this. Oh, the Lord thy God cast out not before thee, saying, for my righteousness... Don't say that, he says. Don't say this. For my righteousness, the Lord hath brought me to possess the land. He says, no, but because of the wickedness of those nations. Verse 5. 
Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess the land. For the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God, doth drive them out. In verse 7, oh yeah, I'm sorry, we didn't finish verse uh, 5 there. For, uh, for, because of the wickedness of the nations and, what's it say? And, the bottom part there, and that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So the whole thing was based on that chesed, that covenant love of God. Very, very important to understand that. Well, with that, we want to uh, go, and I just want you to see uh, one more thing here. Um, well, let's go ahead and, and look in First Second Samuel in chapter 9. Second Samuel in chapter 9. <clears throat> And this story of Mephibosheth is a beautiful story that really illustrates God's chesed, God's covenant love. And we want to just look at that tonight if we can. And I want to start off with verse 1, and then we're going to jump around a bit just to see the whole story. But Second Samuel in chapter 9, in verse 1, it says this, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, do you see that word kindness? Let's try that in the New American Standard and see, see if it says the same thing. New American Standard, NIV. Uh, kindness, show him kindness. Uh, okay, let's look at the NIV version. Kindness, okay, back to King James. <laughs> All right, that was real enlightening, wasn't it? Okay, back to King James Version. The kindness, I kindness for Jonathan's sake. Okay, so understanding that this, this is what David is. Now, he's sitting on the throne. Um, at this point, his kingdom has been established clearly. He uh, wanted to build the temple. God says, no, you won't build it, but rather your son Solomon will. And so David's making preparations for all that. Great things are happening here. But David sitting upon the throne says, is there someone from the house of Saul to whom I can show the chesed? That's the same exact word. Covenant love for Jonathan's sake. Well, what had taken place back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you'll look at that with me, and we won't take time to go through the whole thing here, but you see, Jonathan was King Saul's son. King Saul was, made, was the first king of Israel and started off great, ended up horrible. And the turning point was when he just chose to do things his own way and not God's way. Shortly thereafter, God sent Samuel to anoint David to be king. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. The story of Saul and David and seeing what transpired. Two, two whole books, First and Second Samuel, just about the life of David and the situation there. And it's just beautiful to see. David, even though he was anointed king, the Holy Spirit was upon him, even so, he didn't grab after the throne. Never, we don't need to grab for power and position. That whole spirit of grabbing for power and position, stepping on everybody else underneath us so we can climb the ladder of success, it comes from the pit of hell. 
Even the Bible says Jesus humbled himself and be, to the point, uh, uh, he said he didn't grasp, he, he didn't think of, of equality with God, a thing to be grasped or a thing to be used. That's Philippians 2. He didn't, he didn't use his authority to do things while he was here on the earth, but rather to submit. He came to serve. What an awesome thing. Well, the thing is, is that Saul, uh, Saul was rejected from God. Uh, the story, you know, of, of David and, and how after being anointed, he went forth with uh, the Spirit of God upon him. He slew Goliath. And from that day forward, Saul began to be jealous. He began to be jealous. And he began to, to hate David and tried to kill him. That was the situation. But Saul's son, Jonathan, he could see something special. Jonathan would have made a a great king, but God had other plans. And Jonathan knew God had anointed David. And Jonathan says he loved David. Here in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And, and you see this relationship between David and, and, and uh, if we go on down, they, 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 they uh, exchanged garments. And look in verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. That's that same idea of, of, of not, not a contract, but until death do we part. A covenant with each other. And they made this covenant with each other. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20... And if you read here in chapter 20, starting with verse 14, again, this is the time David is running away, and and Jonathan has his one last conversation with him. David can't stay anywhere near the palace because Saul's going to kill him. That's just the thing, and Jonathan knows it. So Jonathan helps him to escape. And Jonathan says this to David in verse 14. He says, And thou wilt not only while I yet live show me the, what's it say, the what? The kindness, chesed, of the what? Lord. The kindness of the Lord. No, not, not just going to show me the kindness of the Lord uh, while I'm alive. And you, of course, but, but verse 15. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness, that's that word chesed again, from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. Verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemy. Verse 17, And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. So this is like a double portion of the same covenant, renewing that covenant. And, uh, and so uh, this covenant has been made not only between David and Jonathan, but Jonathan saying, listen, even after I die, this covenant needs to continue even with my own children. So that's the covenant, okay? Now, during this time, of course, Saul gets, goes from bad to worse, situations get bad. And, <clears throat> and what takes place is eventually uh, Saul dies, now, one of Saul's sons rises up and tries to become king. That's a story in itself. But uh, during that time, there was a lot of fear, especially in the household of Saul, because 
they, uh, David was also king. And, they, and it says, if you look over in 2 Samuel chapter 3, in verse 1, Ishbosheth was one of the sons of, uh, uh, of Saul. There was now a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And so uh, there was just this thing going on, even after Saul, and of course, unfortunately, Jonathan had died. Well, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 4, and what we see here, and I'm just trying to get the highlights of the picture so you can appreciate it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 4, in verse 4, it says this, and Jonathan Saul's son, that's the one David made a covenant with, he had a son who was lame of his feet. I mean, he was crippled. He couldn't walk. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Israel. So in other words, uh, when, the, when, the, uh, you know, when, when Channel 7 News was reporting on TV that Saul and Jonathan had died in battle, uh, uh, Mephibosheth would have been about five years old at that time. And he didn't know what was going on. Five years old, you don't really know what's going on too much, do you? Well, he didn't really understand, but everybody else in his house knew. They knew trouble for us. David is now king. David must really hate us because our, you know, our Saul, our father and grandfather, he has he has been pre- persecuted David for years in the wilderness. And now David's going to take revenge. What a horrible day this is for us. And so they realized they couldn't stay in the palace anymore. They had to flee out of there for fear that David was going to come and slay them all. Well, in that situation, it says that, that his nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, like a nanny, she, she picked him up and she began to run with his fear. She had to get him out of there. She was trying to protect the poor little boy. But in her fear, she fell and this poor little boy, something happened to his legs. Maybe he broke them all. Who knows what took place? But she, she fell, he fell, and at that point, he became lame. And his name was, let's say that name again, Mephibosheth. What a situation he was in. Okay, so this catastrophe, this tragedy that he went through is his introduction to the rest of his life. He's, he runs, he flees, he hides. And he literally uh, runs to a place far away from Jerusalem where the palace was, out in a place of nowhere. And the name of that place was Lodibar. Can you all say Lodibar with me? Yeah, that's a place you don't want to buy a house in. Okay, you don't want to buy your home. You don't want to retire and live there. Because the word lo in in Hebrew means no. And the the word debar, it was actually two words, lo, debar. The word debar means pasture or place you could use. So basically it's Uh, no pasture place. In other words, it's a useless place. Nothing could happen there. And this is where Mephibosheth ran to. This is where he was. This is where he hid himself. And, 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 And he understood. In fact, I'm sure other people were saying to him all throughout as he was grown, listen, Mephibosheth, you would have been rightful heir to that throne or you would have been able to live in that palace if it wasn't for David. This is all David's fault. It's not your fault. It's David's fault. He's the one that made you're crippled because of David. It's all David's fault. And this is the way Jonathan, I mean, Mephibosheth grew up. 
his grandfather, his father. As far as he knew, King David slew both his grandfather and father, King Saul and Jonathan. And he, that's just the way he understood life. He looked at life thinking everything had turned him a bad favor. And, and that's the way he grew up. Kind of the way we grew up in the world too, isn't it? A lot of people blame God. God, it's your fault, God, I'm in this situation. Well, that was his thing. And one thing that Mephibosheth didn't understand was the covenant that had been made with David and his father, Jonathan. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is years later. Mephibosheth's a man now. All those years, bitterness. I'm sure there was bitterness in his heart. I'm sure there was anger, hatred, fear of David just filled his heart every moment. Now, in 2 Samuel 9, in verse 1, let's read this verse again. It says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Well, verse 2, There was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when he, they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. Okay, well, the king says, Okay, well, what do you have to tell me? Verse 3. The king said, Is there yet any of the house of Saul? Now look at the words he chooses to use here. That I may show him the what? Kindness of God. David realized his covenant with Jonathan was not just a man-to-man covenant. He knew God honored covenants. That's an interesting situation. Applies to marriage. We don't realize marriage is a sacrament. It's a covenant God honors. And David realized even his covenant with Jonathan, God had to honor that. God was going to honor that. And in fact, there's a situation in the Old Testament. Back in, in Joshua... There were some people that came and, and, and they were afraid they were going to be destroyed by Joshua and the Israelites. So they came and deceived Joshua saying, oh, we're from a far country. Please promise you won't destroy us. Well, Joshua wasn't careful. And he says, oh, yeah, if you're from a far country, then we don't have to destroy you. We make a covenant with you that we will help you and we will never hurt you. Well, a few days later, they found out that those people, the Gibeonites was their name, they actually lived in the land of Canaan and they were supposed to destroy them as all the other nations. But they had made a covenant with these Gibeonites and they had to honor that. Now years later, hundreds of years later, King Saul, who had no respect about covenant, he, he began to kill off the Gibeonites. He began to kill them. Well, that caused problem. And if you read, I won't take time to look at it, but just take a note, Second Samuel 21. During the days of David, there was a famine in the land. And David said, Lord, why is this happening? Why is there a famine? And God says, it's because Saul killed the Gibeonites. And the Israelites made a covenant that they would never hurt them. So Saul broke the covenant. That's why there's famine. Can you believe that? Think about that, how important this is. So covenant is important to God. For you and I, we make all kinds of problems. Oh, brother, I'm going to help you out tomorrow. Oh, brother, I'm going to just see you. I'll be there. You can count on me. And we don't show up. We have all kinds of broken promises, you know. But God is a man of his word. Can you say amen? And when God promises something, he's going to do it. 
You see, so don't consider God's promises and covenants like a man's. But God honored this covenant with David. So that's why, if you put that verse back up there in verse 3, that's why the king said, uh, that I may show him the kindness of God. Well, Ziba answers and said, okay, there is, a, there is yet a, a, a son of Jonathan, and his name is, uh, and he's lame on his feet. He's a cripple. He can't walk. Okay? Verse 4. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. place you do not want to get some real estate today. Verse 5. The king sent men and fetched him out of the house of Mehir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the, Saul of, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth answered, Behold thy servant. Verse 7. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee chesed, kindness, for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. Now shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon a dead dog as I am? And the king called to Ziba and so on. And so what you see in verse 10, uh, he tells Ziba to take care of Mephibosheth. He says this in verse 10, Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants till the land for Mephibosheth, and thou shalt bring him in the fruits, and that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Verse 11, Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As from Mephibosheth said the king, he repeats himself, He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. In verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on his feet. Do you see what the mercy, the chesed, the covenant love of God did for this, for this man? Did David show kindness to Mephibosheth because he felt sorry that he was crippled? No. Did David show mercy and compassion because he knew Mephibosheth would, would do something for him later on? No. What could Mephibosheth do? He's a crippled man. But you need to see this situation to really appreciate it. And this is what God has done for us. Now, there's, there's more I would like to show about this. Maybe we'll relate to later on. I have a little video clip that uh, I would like to show tonight, kind of to illustrate all this. But I want you to consider yourself as a Mephibosheth. God saved you, not because you came to him, God didn't have mercy and, and save you and bring you to his family because, oh, yeah, they, not, they finally came back. No, 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 no. God made a covenant through his son, Jesus Christ, even before the world began, to bring you and I to eat at his table. And we can sit at his table as his sons and eat bread continually. He's offered us inheritance. There's so much more. We'll look at these maybe detail by detail later on just to appreciate what chesed mercy does for us. And if 
And this is, what I'm, this is the point I'm trying to make. You know, the message the pastor's given us is the difference between mercy and favor. If mercy does that, what in the world will favor do? Right? If mercy does all of this, what is God's favor all about? Beyond our imagination. Think about it. Just to have his favor upon your life. But I want us to understand tonight, as Mephibosheth, before we came to Christ, we didn't even, the Bible says, while we were yet without strength, crippled on both of our legs, unable to walk, yet without strength. While we were yet without strength, Romans chapter 5, it says, God sent his son in due time to save us. That's salvation. God sent his son to reach out to you. David fetched. I like what one evangelist says. This is, there's different kinds of graces, but the grace that David used here is called fetching grace. (laughs) Do you remember the grace of God that fetched you from where you were? Brought you out? I'm going to thank God for his mercy today, you see? Covenant love. Understanding that and appreciating it and realizing God loves you regardless of what you do. Now, you can reject it all. Mephibosheth could have fought. I mean, I don't know how he could have fought. He couldn't fight too well without having two feet. But he could have wrestled and argued and, you know, held on to the doors and refused to, 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 to let those men take him. And he would have missed out on everything that David wanted to give him. We don't want to do that, do we? You see? Well, by the way, did you know what the word Mephibosheth means? That's the reason why I said don't name your child. The word Mephibosheth means breathing out shame or it could be translated a shameful thing a shameful thing i kind of think maybe they named him renamed him that after after all took place because he was in line he was in the royal family of king saul but everything was lost he became a shameful thing living in a place of no pasture a worthless place a place called lodibar so if we can if we can uh Maybe dim the lights just a little bit. And uh, before we get the video started, can we bring some lights down? I want you to get the full effect. I want to take you there. I want you to see how many. Can we get some more lights down? There we go. A little bit more. All right. Now, I hope this video works okay. I was working on it this afternoon. Sometimes video gets to be problematic. But here we go. This is a video about Chesed, about Mephibosheth. All right. Well, come on down, Mephibosheth. She's back there. Give a hand to Pete. <laughs> but I just want you to consider today. Let's all stand. I want you to consider today what it took to bring you to the house of God. I want you to consider God's pity, his compassion. You and I, we were running from God some way, somehow. But he called us to eat at his table, didn't he? He's called us. And it's not because of any good thing in us. It's not because you came and cried to him and because you prayed a certain prayer, but it's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus Christ already did 2,000 years ago and from all of eternity. Already, God has shown his love for you. And that love is unchanged. And it's a covenant love. Don't ever think you're unworthy. Don't ever think you don't deserve uh, something. We, we don't. There's nothing good inside of us. But through Christ, God has offered us his very table. 
Can't you thank God for that today? Amen. Hallelujah. He brought, he brought me to, you know that song? His banqueting table, his banner over me, his love. He brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me, his love. He brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me, his love. His banner over me is love. What's oh, an old song? I'm sorry. Sing it with me. Come on down front with me. Let's just come to his table and let's just thank him for that mercy today. He brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me, his love. 